What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode number two of season number five here on the Transform Podcast uh, here as a part of the Scattered Abroad Network. I'm so excited to continue this study of Second Peter chapter one uh, as we talk about transformed into Christian living. Uh, as always, uh, just as a reminder before every single episode that we do, please go to our website, scatteredabroad.org. You can find all the information there. We've got several new podcasts coming out, uh, some I think which have already debuted uh, by the time this this episode is going live, um, and so you can go to Scattered Abroad Network Master Feed on whatever podcast platform it is that you find, and uh, you can you can search that and find those there. Also, if you would, give us a rating or review on whatever platform it is that you use. That certainly would help us get more exposure, uh, and that would hopefully help us reach uh, more more individuals um, as we go through. Uh, we, ta- we, we, we stopped last week. Um, talking about a little, a little bit of groundwork, and, and we're getting into some of the, uh, I guess, more textual matters uh, as as it concerns Second Peter, uh, chapter one. And I want to read these couple of verses here um, as we uh, as we go through uh, the, these first the, these first this first section here. Notice with me, beginning Second Peter chapter one and verse one. Simon Peter, a bond servant, and we talked about Simon last week. Um, and that's kind of where we left off. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus and of our and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped that corruption that is in the world through lust. It's interesting to me, and I and I say it's interesting to me a lot because a lot of these things kind of just pique my interest, I guess. Um, but Peter talks about this like precious faith. And there's several uh, several passages that I, that I want to look at here, and I'll read them to you very quickly. Um, but notice how these are written. Galatians chapter 1, beginning of verse 23, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy. Think about Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at a couple of passages here in the Timothys. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, and, excuse me, and Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Notice chapter 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Notice chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 21. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3. Notice verse 8. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning 
the faith. And then notice Jude in verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. There is that, uh, that phrase that stands out to me as we talk about faith, how these writers here constantly talking about faith, but notice they constantly talked about the faith. It is so important to understand that there is no other faith that can lead us to the source of salvation. Sure, you can have faith in other things, but it's not a true faith because true faith is only in something that is real, only in something that is true, and that is a faith found in Jesus Christ. Peter understood there was no one else to whom he could go, and in fact, he uttered that famous phrase in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16 where he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He understood the singularity of the gospel, the singularity of God, the singularity of the faith that we must have. And notice as he walks through, he transitions and, and then begins to talk about righteousness. He, he says this, and this was interesting. This was a quote I found. It says this, the righteousness of God, of course, is the foundation of the entire universe. The righteousness of God, virtually synonymous, I suppose, with the justice of God. The fact that God is pure, he is perfect, he is just. Everything that God does is right. There is no evil or wicked within him at all. And thus, without him and his righteousness, you and I understand we would have access to absolutely nothing. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, everybody quotes this verse. It's important to know. But I think sometimes we stop there and we don't move on. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation. For everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but notice, continuing on in verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God, talking about the gospel, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Having an understanding of the gospel leads you to having an understanding and an appreciation uh, of the righteousness of God, as does, as Peter continues in 2 Peter chapter 1, his grace and his peace. You know, when I think about grace, I think about the fact that grace is something that you and I will never, ever deserve. Um, grace is it, coming from God came in the form of the sacrifice of Jesus. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, it talks a whole lot about the love that Jesus had, the love that God had. And that's the whole reason that, 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 that Jesus Christ even came to this earth was because of what God had, because of the love that God has for us. But within that is the grace of God in that we didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And we never, ever will deserve it no matter what we do. But then the idea of peace, definitely a concept that's lost on our world, especially over the last few years. Everybody wants to have peace, don't they? Everybody wants to be in the state of not worrying, a state of, of wanting, of not wanting. But where do you get that? Where do you get that grace and peace? How do you get that kind of contentment? Well, notice he continues on in the knowledge of God. It is so vital that you and I, when we study about God, we study about who he is, we study about what he's done for us, for his creation, for mankind, because without the knowledge of God, you and I won't know who it is that is providing us with grace and with peace. Having that knowledge is so important, isn't it? Having knowledge, understanding things is so vitally crucial. The word, the word knowledge, um, when you look at it in this particular context, usually it's the word, the Greek word gnosis. Um, but 
and that's just that's just a word that just simply means knowledge in the Greek. But when you look at this particular word, it's the word epinosis, um, the idea of coming to a full knowledge or always maturing in your knowledge, always growing in your knowledge, knowledge towards an object uh, that is ever maturing and yet I suppose never matured. Um, when we think about the knowledge of God. Uh, it's something that's so important to have and to continue studying, but understanding that we will never, ever know everything that there is to know about God, because if there was, then that would essentially make you and I equal with God. And we know that certainly that is never going to happen. We have the knowledge of God. We understand about the things that we need to know as it concerns God, but what do we do with it? Well, a couple of passages that come to mind, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're commanded to go and to teach all nations, right? To go make disciples. Uh, Mark 16, 15 through 16, we're commanded to go and teach every creature. Again, the Great Commission. Luke 24, 47, commanded that repentance and remission of sins is to be preached. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Persecution scattered abroad the Christians, the scattered abroad Christians. Um, the pun was intended, by the way. You can laugh if you want. Uh, but they went out preaching uh, because of the persecution. Second Timothy 4, 2, Paul commanded uh, Timothy to go and to preach regardless of circumstances. The idea is that you and I are supposed to evangelize. But I guess that begs the question, what? What do we preach? What do we preach? Well, I think that's pretty uh, important. And I think it's also pretty self-explanatory as it comes to you and I, as, as it comes to our to our Christian walk. Notice with me here, beginning in Acts chapter 8, um, notice a, a couple of verses here. Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Verse 6, now multitudes with one accord heeded the thing spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracle which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed uh, and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed and he was baptized. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs that were done. So a little context. Stephen has just been killed by Saul. Saul is wreaking havoc within the church. Christians are scattering. They're teaching as they go. And then we get an introduction to Philip. Philip has been healing demon-possessed people, the paralyzed, those who are lame. Uh, and, then we under, and then we are introduced to Simon the sorcerer. Now, Simon used, um, dishonestly, I guess, made his money uh, by using sorcery, quote-unquote sorcery and magic. You and I know that that's, those things certainly are not uh, true. Uh, but notice a couple of things here in verse 5. Verse 5, the Bible says, and he, talking about Philip, preached Christ to them. And then verse 12, Philip preached the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Philip knew exactly what it was that the people were needing. And that was the preaching of Christ. And that's what he did. He gave them Christ, that he gave them who Jesus was and what he had done for them. That's all you and I ever need to be teaching. Wherever it is that we might be, whoever the audience is that we're talking to, Look, look back at verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1. As his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. When I think about life and godliness, I first think about the idea that God is granting us life. Okay, Without God, we've said this before already, uh, I think on this episode, we're literally nothing. We know that. We know that how it is from him and through him that we are able to do what we do. We know that we're intricately designed, right? That's Psalm 139 verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. 
And yet not only is Christ, or rather God, our creator, but he is also our sustainer. You and I know that when it comes to the Bible, it's our roadmap. It's our guide on how to successfully make it through this life, not only physically, but specifically spiritually, right? John chapter 6, verse 68, Jesus says that he has the words of eternal life. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. John 14, verse 6, on the way, the truth and the life. We want to have that blessed spiritual life, but how do we do that? Well, we do that through living the life of godliness. And you see how all this goes together? You see how it all kind of begins to, uh, to mesh and to form? God has given us everything that we need in order to live a holy and righteous and blameless life. That word godliness translates to the word devout, God-like. So how do you live your life? Do you live your life like God would have lived his life here on this earth? Peter says, you want everything that pertains to life and godliness, but how? How do we get, how do we obtain all those things that pertain to life and godliness? Well, if you continue reading, through the knowledge of him. I can't say it enough. You want grace and peace, verse 2. You want life and godliness. You find it through where? Your knowledge of God. Everything that you and I could ever need in this life, we find it through the Almighty. In fact, think about a couple of verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you notice 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 15, and that from childhood, Peter, Paul talking to Timothy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, verse 16, and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 15, Paul tells Timothy, the scriptures that he has known will make him wise concerning what? Salvation. But here's the interesting thing. Where is that salvation found? Through faith, yes, but then where? In Christ Jesus. The church is considered the body of Christ, right? Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. You get into that body through baptism, Galatians 3, verse 27. It's simple, and yet there seems to be a lot of confusion in our religious world. So I guess that begs the question. Why are there so many different beliefs? Have you thought about that? Why are there so many different beliefs in our world? Truthfully and quickly, as we begin to wrap up this episode, I think it boils down to pride, right? Why else would anyone want to veer off from obeying the Bible? If it wasn't for someone wanting to do their own will, if it wasn't for someone wanting to do what they wanted to do and not submit to God, why would anyone go off on a different path? It all boils down to living our lives and not agreeing with Scripture. And so in order to appease ourselves, to make ourselves feel better, we say, ah, oh, let's just go create a different religion. I'll just go, go, go create a different belief. And so I can set my own limits and I can set my own rules. Friends, that's not how it works, right? There, when you live in a home, there's, there's rules in that home. There were rules in my parents' home. And if I didn't like it or if I didn't want to follow it, I guess I could have tried to walk out and live on my own. But you see, every child knows, every child understands that their father and their mother, but in the, the spiritual sense, our father wants what is best for us. And through his wisdom, he sets boundaries and rules that the child must follow. Well, God has a way that you and I must live. And if we don't live it, we bring trouble on ourselves and we end up jeopardizing our souls. Very quickly, notice the last part of verse 4 of Second Peter 1. He talks about this idea of corruption. 
And a couple of passages come to mind. First, in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning of verse 4, the Bible says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why would you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. Verse 6, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. When I see the word corruption, I think about the word decay. And when I think about the word decay, I think about that being the end result of sin and what it does to our lives. The decay, the corruption, the disease that's that's described here in Isaiah 1, 4 through 6. Physically, sure, but emotionally, spiritually, it's not worth it. First John chapter 2, verse 16, talking about the three things that lead us down the wrong path of sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It will always lead to corruption. But then there's a flip side of that coin, the, the coin of corruption. You flip that over and you have something that is far more beautiful, something that is far better than what we could ever want. Those beautiful and precious promises. John 14, beginning of verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. What a beautiful promise to us as Christians who live faithful lives. Do you want that mansion? Do you want that beautiful and precious promise? If you do, then understand that you and I must live a Christian life. That's what we're going to talk about this entire season. Thank you for being with me last week, this week, and as next week approaches, we will dive into the first Christian grace, a two-part series for each one of these. Uh, We're going to do all that we can to be pleasing to God. I'm so grateful for everything that you all do for the network. If you want to support our network, please consider reaching out. Talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about how you can do that. Always please pray for us. Please listen. Please share and do whatever you can to help this network glorify God. Thank you so much. May God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.